Thanks for tuning in to the Link Church podcast. Link Church is located in Charlotte, North Carolina, and is committed to linking people to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. I'm excited about kicking off this brand new series, and it's entitled Shift. Man, um, I believe that God has given us this series because he wants to do something special in our lives. He wants to do something unique and powerful. And there's something in your life that I know that he wants to shift. He wants to take you from where you are into a greater place, either a greater relationship with him. Maybe he wants to shift some things that are going on financially. Maybe there's something in your body or you're dealing with sickness and you've been trusting God. But I believe over these next five weeks that God is going to shift something supernatural in your life. Supernaturally, he's going to do it in an amazing way. So let's jump into this series today. Second Kings chapter four. When you have it, you can stand. The Bible says out of the New King James Version, I'll read it in your hearing. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son bring me another vessel and he said to her there is not another vessel so the oil ceased then she said then she came and told the man of god and he said go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Remain standing. I just want to give you my subject, and then you can take your seats. The subject today is, I'm not there anymore. I'm not there anymore. You may be seated. I'm not there anymore. In our text today, we come upon a story dealing with Elisha and this woman who is a widow. And her late husband, the Bible says, he was a son of the prophets. He was a servant of the prophets. Now, you must understand in that time in the children of Israel's life and where they were with God, God dealt with them through the prophet. The prophet was the voice of God in the people or to the people. 
and they had this school. Just like you have a university, they had this school. And this school was dedicated to prophecy. So the prophets would teach in this school. They would teach how to move as a prophet, how to work and walk with God as a prophet. And they would raise up sons or they would raise up servants. And this woman's late husband was a son or a servant to the prophets. And before we get into the, into the text, I just want you to understand the background and the scene. I want you to understand that this widow woman has a husband who was serving God faithfully, who was always working with the men of God, who was always abiding by the laws and the precepts of God. This woman's husband was faithful and dedicated to God. The Bible also says that her husband, who was a servant to the prophets, he feared the Lord, meaning he had reverence for God. He had respect for God. He, he, he loved God and he cherished God. But this woman fell on hard times after her husband died. After her husband died, they got into heavy debt. And now they were at the point of falling so low where the creditors were about to come and take her sons to be slaves. Because she could not pay the debt, they were willing to take her sons. And, and that's a, I'm glad I'm not living in those days. <laughs> oh, oh, if you've ever been in any kind of debt, if you got student loan debt, if you got credit card debt, if you got a mortgage, if you ever had a debt, no matter how big it is or how small it is that you could not pay. If you were living in those days, they'll come for your family. Oh, they'll come for your family. Today, they don't come for your family. They come for your house. They come for your car. They come for your possessions. At least they don't come for you. But in this case, they were coming for this woman's son. And I, and I want you to see here that she finds herself destitute and in this predicament, but she is not a heathen woman. She is not an idolatrous woman, but she is of the stock of the family, of the household that loves God and fears God. So it draws a picture then that a person or a family that loves God and fears God can fall on hard times. A, a family or a person that follows God faithfully can fall into trouble. You can fall into trouble. Why can you fall into trouble? Because there's something about life that does not exempt you because you are a Christian from trouble. There's something called life that seeks you out just like it seeks other people out. That you are not exempt from trouble because you love God. Let's just get that there and put it out there and put it in the atmosphere. Get it in your brain because I know as Christians you feel like I'm so special. You are special, but you are not exempt from trouble. In fact, God uses trouble to train you. 
because trouble is your trainer. Trouble is your trainer. Not riches, not wealth, not houses, not cars, not living your best life, but trouble is your trainer and God will allow you to go through trouble to train you. And one thing I realized about working out is that if you want growth in a particular muscle, your muscle has to go through pain. And it reminds me of my daughter Isabella. She's seven years old. And one day I was doing sit-ups in my room and the kids love to come and, and participate when I'm working out. And, and, they, and they were working out and I was working out. And I was doing crunches and Caleb was doing, well, I don't know what he was doing. He, he wasn't doing, but, but Izzy, she was kind of getting it in. She was doing her crunches, but I'm so consumed with my workout, I don't realize she's actually doing sit-ups with daddy, sit-ups with daddy. So about two days later, Osby, she comes, she's like, daddy, my, my stomach hurts. And, and one thing about Izzy is that she always runs to her dad when she's feeling discomfort. And, and sometimes she, it's because she knows that I'm going to hug her. I'm going to say what's wrong. But sometimes because she does it so often, I'm like, Izzy, it's okay. I know you're good. Don't worry about it. Let's just see what happens. So I'm trying to dismiss it. And she keeps coming back. And she's like, Daddy, my, my stomach, it's in pain. And my wife overhears it. And she's like, I know why her stomach's hurting. It's because she was doing sit-ups with you a couple days ago. And I'm like, that's true. I forgot Isabella was doing sit-ups. And even if she didn't have the perfect form, she was doing enough of them that it started to stretch her muscles. And I'm like, Izzy, you got to calm down. Please, you're in great shape. Don't be doing sit-ups and push-ups and exercising with daddy anymore because trouble and pain is an equal opportunity offender. Pain finds her stomach muscles like pain finds my stomach muscles. Pain does not say because she is seven years old, I won't come to her. But what happens is when you start to work that muscle, when you start to build and stretch that muscle, then you are going to face trouble. You are going to face pain. And what God wants you to understand is that trouble will train you. And you cannot avoid the trouble. Because if you avoid the trouble, then you are avoiding your training. And if you avoid your training, then you will avoid your results. If you avoid the trouble, you avoid the training. And you avoid, if you avoid the training, you avoid the results. And you're trying to see results from God, but you don't want the trouble. But it's the trouble that provides the training and will give you the results. The other issue we have is that we look at other people's trouble and we expect their trouble to produce results on us. Oh, we look at their pain 
And we expect because they're going through so much pain, because we had to help them through their pain, because we had to assist them through their pain, that somehow we get the benefits of the pain that they went through. But you've got to understand that unless you go through your own pain and your own trouble, you will not receive your own results. Oh, you got to experience it yourself. And and God wants to shift you. He wants to shift you. But in order for you to be shifted, you first have to experience the low. You have to experience the trouble. You have to experience the pain. And this widow woman is going through pain. She is going through trouble. She is going through heartache. She doesn't know how she's going to get through this. So what she does then is that she goes to the man of God and she says, prophet, I'm in trouble and I need you to help me out of my trouble. Now, there are different degrees of troubles. Trouble. There, there are levels to this thing we call trouble. There are certain trouble that you encounter that you are just able to get through by yourself. There's some trouble that you encounter and you can ask a family member to help you out of it. But there is a degree and a level of pain and trouble that when you get to that low place, the only person that can help you out of that is God. I mean, have you ever experienced such a low that the only help that can get you out of this is God? And I'm wondering if there's anybody in the auditorium today that is experiencing such confusion that you tried so many other avenues and there's nobody else that can get you out but God. And is there somebody that can say, yeah, pastor, I'm with you. I need God to show up right now. My mama can't do it. My daddy can't do it. I'm in need of God to show up in my marriage right now. I can't. Uh, the counselor is good. But if God is not present, then nothing will happen from this. I won't be able to climb out of it. I won't be able to rectify the relationship. If God does not do it, it can't be done. This is a job for Jesus. This, this problem, this is a job for Jesus. And one of the problems that we have is that we try to circumvent trouble or get out of trouble by ourselves and we don't utilize Jesus. She's in a predicament, this widow is in a problem. She is depleted. She is destitute. She does not know how she's going to make it through this. So she says to prophet Elisha, Elisha, I'm in trouble. And Elisha comes back to her and asks her a question. 
Now, our Bible tells us that when we ask God for something, we ask him and then we should receive. So the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. It makes it simple. It sounds simple. It sounds easy that if we just ask, we get it. It's like a genie. My favorite movie, uh, Disney movie, is Aladdin. It's y'all looking at me like, what? <laughs> yeah, I got a favorite Disney movie. Everybody ought to have a favorite Disney movie. My favorite Disney movie is Aladdin, and I can't wait to see the remake of it this year in a few months. Uh, Aladdin, and the genie comes out, and he says, you got three wishes. You got three wishes. And we often treat God like that. We ask him for something and we expect that poof, we get it. Poof, it comes. Poof, it's over. Poof, it's coming to our house. Because it says, ask and you shall receive. But I've learned as I'm walking with God that God does something unique. Sometimes when we ask him a question, he asks us a question back. And instead of giving us an answer, he asks us a question. And it comes at the most troublesome times. It comes when our backs are against the wall and we need a way out. And we're saying, God, can you help me out of this financial predicament? I need you to show up. And instead of him giving us the solution, he asks us a question. You don't believe me. Well, he did it to Moses. Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea. They are hemmed in on every side. They reach a dead end because the Red Sea is before them and Pharaoh's army is coming behind them. They have no place to go and there is no way out. And Moses is looking for a way out. And the people are saying, Moses, you brought us here to die in the wilderness. And Moses turns to God and he says, God, I need your help. I need you to make a way. God, open up a door. Where do you want? me to go how do you want us to get through this and God responds by asking him a question and he says what do you have in your hand it's similar to this widow woman this widow is asking Elisha for help and Elisha says to her what do you have in your house okay so he says, God says to Moses, what's in your hand? And the prophet says to this woman, what do you have in your house? I see a pattern here. I see that God is preoccupied with what you have, not with what you don't have. <laughs> Link, y'all better, better preach with me today. God is concerned. He is almost obsessed with what you have, not with what you don't have. Moses doesn't have many resources. And he says, forget about what you don't have. I want you to focus on what you do have. Because if you use what you do have, you can get by with what you do have. And you'll forget about what you don't have. Ah, yeah, ah, this woman that is a widow, she has something. And 
and you've been concerned about what you don't have. But I want to throw it out there today, y'all. Link, come on. What do you have? Oh, oh this is so good because God is talking to me right now. I got a big vision for this church. I've got a huge vision for this church. I, I have a vision where many people see God. Many people connect to God. Many lives are changed. But, but I can't focus on what I, I don't have. I feel God right in this moment. Because if you continue to look at what you don't have, you will squander and minimize and devalue what you do have. But if you focus on what you do have, you'll find that what you do have is far more valuable than what you don't have. And I wish I had somebody in here that realized that I do have something. I may not have the million dollar business, but I do have something. I may not have the perfect job, but I do have something what is in your house what is in your heart what is in your skill set what ideas do you have you've got to know that what's between your two ears and what's in your head is so valuable because you've got ideas what do you have what do you have what do you have what do you have you're minimizing what you do have. I don't have the money, God, to do it. Yeah, you don't have the money, but what do you have? <laughs> you may have a connection you've been sleeping on. A connection you've been neglecting. That will give you the money. You got to work what you have. That's a word right there. Work what you have. Because if you work what you have, you find yourself in the place that God wants you to be in. Because God will always give you enough for what you need to get to that next place. And if you don't have it, here's a thought, y'all. Because if you needed it, you would have it. And when you do need it, then it's coming. But maybe if you lift up the covers, if you look closely, you'll find that you have something in your house. Something in your house. In this culture today, social media has totally warped our minds. It has totally warped our minds because we focus so much on what they have that we don't realize what we have. Somebody turn to your neighbor quickly because they didn't hear me. Ask them the question, what's in your house? Yeah, what's in your house? What's in your house? She asked, she asked Elisha for help. Elisha asks her a question in return. 
And have you ever been in a place where God is just asking you questions? He may say to you, why do you work there? <laughs> oh, have, has God ever, have you ever had that thought? Why, why am I working here? Why do I go to work here every day? And then a part of you is like, well, God, you gave me this job. I mean, come on. Why are you asking me this question? I asked for a job. You provided this for me, and, and, and it felt good. But now I'm wondering, why am I working here? Why, why are you managing your finances that way? It's this thing where, where God is sometimes demonstrative, but often he is so still, he is so quiet, he just brings thoughts in your brain, and he says, why aren't you thinking bigger? Why aren't you thinking differently? Why are you boxed in by what they said you could have? Why aren't you looking at that jar of oil and saying, something can come out of this. It's, a, it's all I have. But something can come out of this. And so the prophet Elisha says to her, take the jar of oil, go into the house, borrow vessels. He says, don't borrow a few, but borrow vessels. And take your sons, go into the house, and begin to pour the oil into the vessels. Now, one thing I just want to pause and say, it's a key little phrase. He says, don't borrow a few. You know, when God gives some of us a blank check, we put one dollar on it. <laughs> we do, Osby. In essence, that's what we do. God says, I've given you free reign in this area. I've given you the ability to work and to be blessed and to be prosperous and to just um, fulfill your purpose in this area. And we say, one dollar. Why does Elisha say to her, don't borrow just a few? Because he knows that when you are down, when you are limited, when you are broke, when you are destitute, you think based on where you are, you don't think based on where you're going. So he wants her to see and to notice and to understand you got to think where you're going. Because if you think where you are right now, you're just going to borrow one jar, just one vessel. But he's careful to tell her you've got to borrow many. And he gives her clear instructions and says, borrow the vessels, borrow the jars, go in the house with your, with your sons, shut the door, and begin to pour. Now, y'all, these are specific instructions. And I realized that nestled within what we call faith, is something that is embedded in the fabric of faith, and it's called obedience. And a lot, most of the time, we're not struggling with a lack of faith. We're struggling with obedience, y'all, y'all, y'all. We're struggling with obedience, and you cannot have 
faith in an area in which you cannot obey the voice of God. And I want somebody to get this in their head and in their heart that if you can obey God, you can have faith for it. But if you can't obey God, you can't have faith for it because obedience is to faith what a key is to a lock. Obedience is to faith what a key is to a lock. And you come to the door of faith. And the door of faith is always locked in your life. And you say that faith doesn't work. It's not that faith isn't working. It's your obedience that is not working and opening the door. And if you can't obey the voice of God, you can't walk with him. If you can't obey the voice of God, you'll never see a shift come in your life. I don't care what you write down on that card. I don't care how much you pray over those shift cards. It doesn't matter what you put down. If you can't obey the voice of God, it doesn't matter what pro pastor prophesies. If you can't obey his voice, you won't see a shift. A shift, you gotta obey. In, our, in the Bible, there's a story about a, a man named Naaman. He was a captain. He was a general in the Syrian army. But he had leprosy. And he went down to the prophet because he wanted to be healed of his leprosy. And the prophet came. He didn't prophet didn't even come out. But the prophet sent his servant and his servant gave clear instructions. And the servant said, Naaman, you've got to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman would not get healed if he did not obey. And at first, Naaman struggled with it. Because he felt like the Jordan River was dirty. He felt like he could not do what the prophet wanted him to do. But he realized that if he dipped seven times, that's when the shift would happen. And what is God asking you to do? And we often question God. And God asks us to do something and we're like, we can't do I can't do it, God. I can't. I can't see it, God. I, I can't see that. You're asking me to do that? No, I, I can't see it. You're asking me that? No, 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 that doesn't make sense. And you know what we say? The devil is a liar. Yeah, we, we, we put the devil on it. We say the devil is a liar because anything that does not line up with your thought process, you assume it to be the devil. And could you be rebuking God because you don't want to obey? You don't want to obey. But I want to tell you today, if you are ready, willing, and able to obey what God is asking you to do, in the next five weeks, you will see a shift, but you've got to obey him. We look at the story with the widow and we say, that sounds simple. That sounds easy. 
but she had to obey God. And it's when she started to obey God that she saw a shift. So she took this little jar of oil and she said, I'm going to obey God. You, you know, it's key because you can't tell me, I'm not done with this point, you can't tell me that you obey God, that you believe God rather. You can't tell me that you believe God and you're unwilling to obey him. You can't tell me that you believe him and you can't step out and obey him because the test and the proof as to whether or not you obey him or you believe him is when you obey him. And I want you to understand how critical this is because anybody that actually ever did anything from God or with God or actually felt a shift in their life because of God, it's because they were willing to obey. We know many stories. We know Joshua as he marched around the walls. That's not easy, but he obeyed. We know David as he went to fight Goliath. He took five smooth stones. He left Saul's armor in the palace, and it took a struggle. It took obedience for him to go and fight Goliath. But anybody that did anything great, they had to obey. This widow, she had to obey. She took the empty vessels, brought it in her house. And God said to her, you have to pour. Now think of it, y'all. You only got a little bit of oil. And you got a big vessel. You got to trust God in the pouring. You got to trust that what God has put in you and what God has given you, that he wants you to pour it. Now, I want you to see that the oil represents the anointing that this woman has. The anointing, the supernatural working of God in her life, that when she is willing to take the little oil that she has and pour it out, that's when the oil begins to flow. The oil does not flow until she pours. There is somebody in here, you're wondering why your career is not flowing. Your career will not flow until you are willing to pour. Your marriage will not flow until you are willing to pour. Your finances will not flow until you are willing to pour. You have got to pour because if you don't pour, you won't see the shift. 
and you're looking at your oil and you're saying, God, I cannot waste my oil. I cannot take my oil and risk it and pour it into another vessel. How do I know that there's going to be more oil? How do I know that there's going to be a blessing? But she obeys and she begins to pour. Now, God has given you an anointing. He's given you a purpose. He's given you a destiny. He's given you certain skill set. He's given you a personality. He's put something great on the inside of you. And the only way that your greatness is realized is if you're willing to take the little oil that he's given you and pour it out. You cannot see a shift. If you're not willing to be poured out, you have got to be ready and willing to be poured out by God. He doesn't move until you're ready to be poured out. And you say, God, I need a breakthrough in my money. And I'm going paycheck to paycheck. Matter of fact, I don't even know how the bills are going to be paid. Well, he wants you first. To take what you have and pour it out. Y'all ain't going to have to. Y'all may not shout on this one. But God wants you to understand. That it's when you pour out. Of what you have. That's when you see. The oil and the hand of God. And the shift of God. Beginning to work in your life. Marriage does not work unless you're willing to pour into it. And you're saying, listen, my spouse, I don't know what's going on. This is crazy. We're always fighting. I just can't understand it. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. This is just bananas. You got to pour. You have to be ready and willing to pour. Maybe, maybe you just came out of a broken relationship and you're saying, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get healing through this. I, I don't know how I'm going to feel strong through this. God, God wants you to pour. Take what you have and pour. Because God did not give you that oil for it to stay in that little jar. But the purpose of the oil is to be poured out. Y'all don't believe me, so I'll give you an example. Jesus is the perfect example. Jesus has so much oil. He has so much oil in his being because he's God, he is so anointed, he is, he is just signed off by, by God in heaven, he is authorized by him. When Jesus is on earth, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm, whom I'm well pleased. He, he, he is just so anointed, he is so spirit filled. But his purpose on earth was to die and to pour out of the oil that was on the inside of him. 
and that Jesus could not fulfill his purpose if he was not willing to be poured out. And could it be that your purpose is to be poured out? And the way you see a shift is if you pour out. So Jesus goes into the grave. The shift does not happen in the kingdom of God until Jesus comes out of the grave with victory. Our Christianity hangs and hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. He has to be poured out. And if he's not poured out, then he does not have the ability and the power to influence and impact. Okay, so if he doesn't pour out, then he cannot resurrect from the dead. He cannot go back into heaven. And if he does not go back into heaven, he cannot send his comforter, the Holy Spirit. There is a process to this thing, y'all. And the purpose is always in your pouring. And Jesus knows that he has to die. He has to be raised from the dead. And he has to send the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does not come if he's not poured out. And it says in Acts chapter 2. And I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. There is no pouring of God's spirit. If he is not willing to be poured out and sacrifice his life. The shift in our Christianity happens. Maybe I should have preached this last week. The shift in our Christianity happens when Jesus is willing to be poured out. He healed the sick. He opened up blind eyes. But there was no shift until he was willing to be poured out in spirit. And can you see in the spirit that what you have now is a God? that sees you as vessels. Can you see that God sits in heaven and he has his anointing, he has his spirit, and he sees as he looks at the world, he sees they're a vessel and he's a vessel and she's a vessel. And he begins to say, I've got to pour out my spirit, pour out into these vessels. But if you go back to our text, y'all, and I'll tie it together. If you go back to our text, you see that the woman poured the oil into the vessels. And she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, mama, we ain't got no more vessels. They're all full. The Bible says the oil stopped at that moment. Wait, the oil stopped. When there were no more vessels. I say it again. The oil stopped when there were no more vessels. The thing that is restricting your flow. 
the thing that is restricting your shift is that you need to find more vessels. Because the oil keeps flowing as long as you keep pushing your career. The oil keeps flowing as long as you go back to school and get an education. The oil keeps flowing as long as you keep cultivating the gift and the purpose God put on your life. But the oil stops as soon as you feel like there's no more to pour out. And if you look at it and go back to Jesus, the Bible says that you will be my witnesses. In Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and the other most part of the earth, which means that the earth keeps spinning as we know it and time keeps going as long as there are more vessels for Jesus to pour his spirit into. But when the day comes when there are no more vessels, and Jesus looks down and says, there are no more places for me to pour out my spirit. He says to himself, now time is up. The end of the world as we know it stops when the vessels are full. Oh, when the vessels are full. So there is a correlation between Jesus's work and your work. And you are feeling unfulfilled because you can't find a vessel. You can't find a vessel. You're, you're saying, I feel bottlenecked. I, I feel like I, I can't find a place for my purpose. It's because you can't find a vessel. But the oil will keep flowing if you find a vessel. And I want you to know that your life is not over and your life continues to go and your heart continues to beat because there is a vessel out there for you to pour into. And God has gifted you and God has put purpose in you so that you can pour out of what he's put inside of you and put it into somebody else. You cannot continue to hoard your oil because you're begging God for a shift and he's begging you to keep pouring. You're begging God to open up the door and he's saying, why have you stopped pouring? Pouring. Why are you so down and depressed that you have given up on that business? Why are you so down and depressed that you feel like it won't work anymore? God wants you to keep on pouring. And the title of this sermon is that I'm not there anymore because the object is for you to get out of the jar and to get into the vessel. The whole point of the story is that the woman would take what's in her jar and put it into the vessel because it will work for her. The oil works for her when it's in the vessel, not when it's in the jar. And you're living the jar life. You're not living the vessel life. 
And you'll never see a shift in your life if you don't get out of your jar, get out of your box, get out of what's locking you down, get out of what's tying you up. You have got to get your purpose out of the jar and into the vessel. The Bible says that she was able to take the oil and sell it and pay her debt and live off the rest and you've got to know that God has given you enough oil enough ideas enough education enough skills enough purpose that you can live you can survive and if you're not making it through in life it's because you're not pouring out you have got to get out of your jar i need somebody in here to say i'm not there anymore when people look at you this week, they're going to look and try and find you in the jar. Just turn to your coworker and say, I'm not there anymore. When people talk to you on the phone this week, they're going to say something changed about your attitude. You say, I'm not there anymore. Uh-huh. When you talk to your boss this week and he starts talking to you firmly and he starts abusing you and he looks at your reaction and you react differently and he says, what's different about you you just say I'm not there oh yeah I'm not there anymore when your spouse wants to pick the same fight mm -hmm, that gets your marriage in trouble and you take the high road and you say I'm gonna pour out out of myself and I'm not gonna live in this jar anymore and they say what's with you how come you're not angry how come you're not yelling how come you're not throwing stuff anymore you just say I'm not there anymore. Is there anybody in here that is ready for God to shift you? Shift you out of your jar. Shift you out of your container. And say, God, I want you to pour me out. I'm a little teapot. Yeah. Yeah. Short and stout. Here is my handle. Mm -hmm. Here is my spout. I got young kids, y'all. Uh-huh. When I get all steamed up. When I get angry. When I get frustrated. Uh-huh. Pour me out. Uh, tip me over. Yeah. And and pour me out because the shift happens when you pour and when you get frustrated now and when you feel like you're confused and you feel like how am I going to make it through you just say tip me over tip me over just tip out, tip me over. And what's coming out of your teapot is more purpose. What's coming out of your teapot is more anointing. What's coming out of your teapot is a shift. And I feel like the devil wants to confuse you. The devil wants you to stop here and wants you to feel like you can't make it through. But I want you to pour. Pour in your finances. Pour in your ministry. Pour in your purpose. Oh, I feel like the devil has a stranglehold on your anointing he's trying to bottle you up but you gotta lift the cover off of your anointing and say God I'm ready to be poured is there anybody I feel the glory of God today is there anybody that wants to be poured out somebody shout hallelujah 
somebody shout hallelujah i need a worshiper in this moment that's willing to say to the devil devil you can't have me here i'm gonna pour into my kids i'm gonna pour into my family i'm not there anymore paul says forgetting the things that are behind and i'm reaching to the things that are ahead i'm not there anymore i have renewed my mind i am transformed because i am not there anymore somebody shout no more I feel glory in here. I'm going a little bit long today, y'all. But I feel glory in here. Because the devil can't have you. The devil can't have this ministry. The devil can't have his church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell. I wish I had somebody that knew scripture up in here. The gates of hell, Shama, it will not prevail against it you gotta pour out pour into your ministry pour into your church pour into your family you gotta pour somebody shout pour glory comes when you pour i declare there's a shift coming in your life i prophesy to every word you have written on your card i declare it's coming to pass in the next five weeks if you're ready to pour if you're not ready to pour you might as well not write it down but if you're ready to pour and you're ready to say i'm not there anymore the shift is coming. 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 Oh, I feel God in here. The shift is coming. The shift is coming. The darkest moment is right before the sunlight comes. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Hallelujah. It's coming. I want you to feel it. It's coming. It's coming, hallelujah, a shift, I declare it, the devil is a liar, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, Shama. it's coming, it's coming in your business, huh? it's coming in your business, you gotta believe it, it's coming, it's coming, you're broke now, but you won't be broke tomorrow, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, you gotta pour, you gotta pour, you've got to pour, You've got to pour. And I don't know what has happened to you in your life that has made you reluctant to pour. I don't know who abused you. I don't know who, I don't know who talked about you. I don't know who told you you were nothing. I don't, I don't know who told you that you don't have enough oil. I don't know who told you you're not pretty enough. I don't know who told you you're not man enough. I don't know who told you that you always work a dead-end job. Hallelujah, I feel God in here. I don't know who told you you'll never own a house. I feel God in here. Shamande, I don't know who told you, but that devil is a liar. I feel God. I feel God. Yeah, this is what we need, Link. This is what we need, Link. Why are you coming to church if you don't want to get better? This is what you need in your life. 
You need somebody to push you to pour. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. For more information about Link Church, you can visit us on the web at www.linkchurchnc.org.